What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Tony. The fitness industry right now is not what it could be. It's become something built on unrealistic expectations, aesthetics, and external validation, directing attention away from what actually matters. Bottom line is, we're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by providing you with the knowledge and tools to give you confidence in applying the best possible training and nutrition into your own lives. Where today we're breaking down the top five best and worst supplements for fat loss. Some you might expect, some you might be a bit surprised by. Tony and I actually took a run on this episode in California when we were together. Didn't work out so well months ago. How long ago was that? That was in March. Was that in March? That was in March. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was in March. And then, because what happened? So we filmed it, the cameras died like eight times. Yes. We were yeah, going to refilm the next day, but I got food poisoning from definitely not Chipotle and was just dead for like 48 hours. Were, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard from you for hours. I was like, what's happening? I'm like in my Airbnb alone in San Diego. I'm like, is he dying? That <laughs> trip started off so, do you remember that? That trip, how rough it started off? It the started plane so got bad. delayed how many times? My overnight I got over. the worst sickness I think I've ever had in my entire life for 48 hours. And then it all worked out. But that, that it worked out. But we, yeah, we filmed this episode. And we realized we never refilmed it, edited it, or anything. So we're going in the day with a few updates. Which, if you really like this episode, or just Mariana or I, you might not like (laughs) me, but if you like her, the easiest way you can support us is to give us a little five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on for the next 15 seconds it might take. And if you're on Spotify, you actually can follow us now. So every time we post an update every single Monday, it'll pop up so you don't miss anything important to you and if you want more after each episode make sure to join us over on premium for just five bucks a month where every single friday you get a bonus q a episode where we answer and interact with your questions and shout out to lauren she's the winner of our june 300 dollars legion monthly giveaway where just by being a fitness stuff premium member you're entered in that monthly giveaway every single month. We got one coming up in July here soon. We're going to put the sign up down in our show notes below for that. And speaking of Legion, our sponsor from day one of the podcast, we love them. They just came out with their new pre-workout flavor. I haven't tried it. Tony, I think is getting his hands on it soon. Rainbow mm. Sherbert, which sounds really good. I've tried so many pre-workouts back in college, and it was the only one that didn't make me like squirm taking it. I don't know yeah. why so many pre-workouts taste just god-awful. I don't know what that is. <laughs> and they make you feel weird because Legion just puts in like the bare essentials for the proven ingredients that work, mm-hmm. where all these other companies try and throw in like 15 other random herbs that have never been proven to do anything just for more marketing sake. Yeah. And it makes you yeah. <laughs> feel weird. It makes you taste weird. I think the Sherber, it's expected delivery date is Monday, which we film on Tuesday. So mm-hmm. I should be able It'll to try it, it before we film next week to give an official review, which I do. Oh, you know, I don't want to compromise truth. I tried the blueberry muffin protein bar. Protein not bar. the best, not the not best. The best. Their not protein the best. powders though are amazing. Yeah. Try their new flavors, apple pie, banana bread, blueberry muffin. If you want to get your hands on any of these products, you can use the Legion link in our show notes and use the code FSPOD at checkout for 20% off your first order or double points on every order after that. Oh, yeah. Because I think we got a couple products that we're going to recommend, maybe a little casein way later that they've got some pretty yes. hot ones of, right? But we're jumping mm-hmm. into this. We'll see. I want to almost revisit the first time we filmed it to see... Which one did better? But now the world's changed. We're on threads now. We're not on threads yet. Maybe by the time this episode, we'll pop it up. I'm you joined threads, threads, didn't you? 
yeah, fitness stuff. I think honestly, it'll probably, we'll be on threads by the time you're listening. So make sure you go follow us on threads. What is your take on threads? I have a bad taste in my mouth to start off. You know what? It's been a busy week, so I haven't had a ton of time to break this down. But there's three things that, that leave a bad taste in my mouth. One is every time I ask myself, okay, why am I doing this? When I went, because I signed up, I made an account. I just haven't started using it. But I'm like, why do I want to use it? The only reason that pops in my head is because everyone else is doing it. And that's not a very good reason yeah, for me to do it. I can't think of another good reason to do it. The second one, which you actually brought to my attention yesterday when we were doing the Q&A for premium, was it's the third time in what, like a year and a half where Meta just blatantly copy and paste another platform. Mm -hmm. yeah. They did it to Snapchat with Instagram stories. They did it to TikTok with Reels. And now they just hit the copy paste button on Twitter. And then the third thing yeah. too, what do we know about Meta? They're like the poster child for censorship. And Elon mm -hmm. with Twitter, I don't use Twitter that often. I'll use it to go for like news and things like that. But his whole thing is freedom of speech and non-censorship. That's like the biggest thing why he bought it because Twitter was censoring so hard. And I feel like this is just going to be like that, but the same censorship way that Facebook is right now, Instagram is. But I also realize I'm probably going to look like a massive hypocrite by the time this episode comes out. I'll probably have been like just addicted to it for like a week. So well, think about this. <laughs> I have no I, idea. It's this, that's exactly how I felt when Reels started. I'm like, no way. I'm pissed. Like you're trying to take TikTok. It's True. not going to work. It's not going to happen. People can say whatever they want. Reels is still here. Like it's still here. There is a demographic for it. Do I scroll on Reels? No. Do I make them consistently? Yeah. There that's is true. a population that eats it up and it's definitely more of the population that is not on TikTok. But I'm hoping that threads, because I'm not on Twitter, but I like threads right now because one, it's just exciting. It's hilarious. And I feel like there hasn't been social interaction on social media in so long in a way that is just funny. People aren't trying to be something that they aren't. They're not trying to put on a show for people you get to see like actually what's going on in the brains of people that you follow who you that actually is valid want that to hasn't been with. anywhere on tiktok on instagram no, on nothing it hasn't been anywhere since like facebook came out over a decade ago yeah i feel like so like the I, true interaction like mm -hmm. another thing that people are like complaining about how social media is bad for mental health and then it's like all freaking zuckerberg has to do is drop another thing They're like all right you I, a bit. I keep yep. wanting to say calling a thread like because tw Twitter, you tweet. So yeah. I'm like, so thread, you just thread. I keep calling it a thneed, which is, <laughs> have you ever seen like Dr. Seuss's like? No. What? I like it. I think it'll stick. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think we're going to definitely start one for the podcast just because it'll be yeah. easy to share. We used to tweet and then share it to Instagram. So I think this will make it easier. So we'll do that. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. It was really quick. I think it hit like 30 million users in the first it's at 48 hours. Now. Or, wow. 70. Yeah. So like people. It, it's insane. But now let's talk about it because, okay, so naming this episode was challenging because we didn't want to say fat burning supplements because fundamentally you, no, yeah. nothing's going to burn fat, oxidize fat. No, you can't take something or do something that's going to do that. And the term fat burners, it's fundamentally misleading from the standpoint of where it's at. But there are definitely supplements that can really help fat loss happen. Yes. It can make you stay consistent. It can help things out. And that's what we're talking about pros and cons because the worst supplements we're going to talk about are ones with little to no evidence supporting what they do or their claims that are put in these fat burning supplements 
over and over again, just sold the markets. What I think the weight loss pills, they accounted for $1.3 billion in sales each year. And it's expected to hit 2.2 billion by 2028. Right. So I think that's the big thing I wanted to clarify going into this is we're going to talk about the most commonly sold ones that do not work and then talk about some big ones, which I think that list honestly might shock people on each of those lists, especially one that I'm really excited about for the top five that I started diving to recently. But let's talk about this real quick because there's only three real ways you can speed up fat loss. And we've talked about this on the show, right? Number one is you can increase any aspect of your TDEE, which is what most people refer to as metabolism, right? So you can either increase your TDEE, you can two, decrease your hunger or cravings, which is going to help you stick to your plan better. So it's not burning fat, but it's allowing you to stick to your diet better. Or three, you can do something that makes the dieting process easier, which I think your social has been huge on that, but everything else is including foods you like, using a smaller deficit with less negative symptoms coming out, prioritizing your stress, your sleep, stuff like that. Those are the only real three ways that you can speed up your fat loss progress. Or am I missing anything that you'd add to that list? No, I think that's true. And a lot of it's, these also can help with consistency. And I think what people do and be really careful in terms of what Tony and I are saying and how you interpret this. We're not saying that in taking any of these, it's going to cause you to magically burn fat by not doing anything else. That's not at all the case. Consistency is what so many people are lacking. And it's what inconsistency is what the supplement industry relies on. Because when you hold on to something that you think is going to help you, you go all in on it and then you stop because it doesn't work. And then you try another thing. There's zero consistency. And once you find that rhythm, once you find that routine, there are all sm- small things you could do to make that process more efficient. Yeah, that's my two And sense. I think that actually was really well said because it really is. I think when people buy, and that's why it's just fundamentally misleading is people use it as a crutch and say, oh, well, if I take this supplement, my workouts, my lifestyle, my diet, it's not as important because it's okay because I'm taking this. Yeah. And it never works out. And that's why this market keeps growing and growing because of repeat customers and repeat customers, Huge. not buying it because it works, but buying it because they think it will. And then they fall off their diet. And like, that's why I failed. Let me keep yeah. buying the supplement to keep it going. It's ridiculous. I, I threaded that if there, if I see one bloom greens ad, I'm calling up Zuckerberg and giving him a formal complaint somehow going to happen. That's what we should do. I want none of that shit on there. That's what we should do with our listeners is do an over under pool where everyone puts in like five bucks to the pool. And we say like over under 30 days until we see a bloom supplement ad on threads. And then the winners of whoever chooses over under more less than 30 days gets the, (laughs) gets to split the pot. That'd be interesting. (laughs) I'd double your money, but just like anything, and this is really important. I think when we get into, we're going to start with the worst and break down the science of why they do not work. And these are still some that are very commonly taken, right? We're not going to go over it. We have an honorable mentions list with like detoxes and cleanses, which I think if you listen to the show for long enough, you understand like those most people know by now or should know aren't going to do something, but these are still ones that are commonly taken and sold today, but it's still the supplement industry, which you know is just the wild west from what we've talked about. And I remember this funny story, Mike Matthews turned us onto this rabbit hole. Do you remember about USP labs? That little rabbit hole we went down. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Now this list does not include individual fat burning supplements. Like one, for example, is like Oxy Elite Pro, which is like a fat burner with multiple compounds in it. We're talking about the specific ingredients used in these common ones. Now, 
Oxy Elite Pro, if it rings a bell, was made by USP Labs. And this is what freaking kills me. We've talked about how unregulated this industry is, or not necessarily unregulated, but how loosely enforced the regulations are. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, you're not allowed to put antidepressants in a fat burner. But that doesn't mean say. people but that doesn't mean people haven't done it. Mm -hmm. Antidepressants. But yes, right? USP labs was caught when they got third party tested to contain fluoxetine, which is the active ingredient in the antidepressant Prozac. The prescribed medication Prozac was in this fat burner when they got caught. And you're like, how the hell, how'd they get away with this, right? There, there had to be a trail. This happened. This had to be the first time this happened. This was months after USP labs, the same company had federal officials arresting six of their executives for lying to consumers and retailers because they also found synthetic amphetamine-like supplements that were made in a chemical factory in China in Oxylete Pro. The Prozac was literally months after this in a separate fat-burning product. They had the same company, which I think USP Labs officially went out of business a year or two ago. They just went out of business. Yeah. But that's why it's sketchy if you find supplements on Amazon or even now getting on the shelves of stores. They're not regulated. If it's got all these random herbs and things in there, you cannot guarantee that all those are in there or there's not things that aren't listed on the label that are in there either. And that's a sketchy part of this industry. Yeah. If there's anything you can avoid, it's any supplement that has these blends in it and you look at the ingredients and it will list out a blend, but you don't know how much of each is in there. And these supplements are not going through third-party testing and people just can't seem to understand that or mm. maybe don't want to understand that. And that's why you find amphetamines in supplements is because they're not regulated. That's what we mean when we say over and over again that supplements aren't regulated. That's why you should proceed with caution. Yeah. People can throw in whatever they want. And until there's a problem, until there are multiple reports of people being hospitalized due to the supplement, no one's going to look into it. So, yeah. And I would say, listen to that Mike Matthews podcast. We had him on a while ago, if you want to know more about that, because he makes supplements. He's the CEO of Legion. So he sees what's going on behind closed doors. And he's so transparent about it, which I love. And like, yeah. So it, yeah, it'll give you some real insight into mm -hmm. what's going on here. Now, Let's start off this list. And this is not going to be in a particular order for the non-top five, the, the top five worst. Top five best we'll probably put in order, but top five worst going on the list. We've talked about this one often. We did a research review this in premium, if I'm not mistaken. This was early on. L-carnitine. This one's very, probably one of the most common ones I've seen still today. People still, still use it. Yeah, Even still people in it. the evidence-based camp, sometimes I will see using it. I'm like, what are you? I got tagged Dude, but, in a video recently and I just can't. Yeah. And it's either sold in a liquid or pill form, or you could take this as an injectable form as well. But L-carnitine, it's just, it's a naturally occurring amino acid found mostly in meat and dairy. Okay. L-carnitine. It's conditionally essential is what we define that as. And this just means that your body can produce it as long as you're also eating enough of two other amino acids that it can't produce. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is very common in the diet. So your body can make this on itself. Now, L-carnitine in the body does play an essential role in the transportation of long-chain fatty acids into mitochondria of the cell, which can be oxidized or burned to produce energy. So it does, quote-unquote, burn fat. as a very important role in your body at burning fat. But, and we've talked about this a lot, it's the same mechanism versus outcome conversation that we've probably just 
beaten to death by this point. So people think, oh, carnitine in your body plays a role in burning fat. Therefore, if I take more L-carnitine, I will then burn more fat. It's that logic jump that people make without thinking about how it plays out. Now, it's the same story over and over again. And there's a few problems with this, right? One is to start off orally supplemented L-carnitine. So the stuff that you buy at the store, the pills, liquid, whatever, only has about 14 to 18% bioavailability. Meaning if you take a thousand milligrams of L-carnitine, your body can only absorb and use around 150 milligrams of that, 14 to 18%, meaning you would need a mega dose to get anything that you would think would be useful. Now, the second problem with this is if your body has enough of it already, which unless you are in the elderly population, it's sometimes observed or eat a very strict vegan diet, your body has enough. And it's kind of like we've talked about, like if you fill up a cup, if you fill it up all the way, adding more into it is not going to just make the cup grow larger. It's not going to improve fat burning by just simply taking more of it. Your body has what it needs. It doesn't need any more. And this is clear in all human trials for weight loss or fat loss too, where when you can, when you control it versus a placebo, you just don't see a difference. Yeah. Those who take L-carnitine, those who don't, they don't see a difference. And I know this is common in the bodybuilding populations closer to showtime. And there's the argument that injectable L-carnitine, since it bypasses your digestion, you absorb more of it, which is true, but that still doesn't really mean it has an impact. And there hasn't been any research that I'm aware of on humans for injectables. But if I had to guess just because of the mechanism, it's going to play out the same way. Yeah. Is that where your head's at too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you hear this with, this is for a lot that we didn't include a lot of these like fat burning supplements is they make, some of them will have this role in fatty acid oxidation, which is, mm-hmm. you know, utilizing fat for fuel. It goes on in your body. It's happening right now. The rate at which it happens, it depends. It's, it depends on what you're doing, multiple factors. And just because something plays a role in that process all of a sudden that means it enhances the fat burning process. It increases it. And there are so, so many supplements that take advantage of that. And yeah. even just things you you can do that take advantage of that idea. Like, what is it? The cold plunge take, it takes advantage mm-hmm. of that idea. There's so many the things. The 12, 3, so, 30, the workouts, the everything. Yeah. Yeah. I personally think that that's one that we're going to have to defend to our death forever. I don't think that that's going away. I just think that's going to be a misunderstanding that doesn't go away. But yes. it sucks because those things, so for the workouts, for example, that's why those stick is because yes, like the 12, 330 or like walking in clean treadmill, you are oxidizing or burning fat at a higher rate compared to not. So it sucks because that is the truth, but you're right. Fat burning does not equal fat loss. It never plays out that way. So that's what's the yeah. hard part is it's not a completely made up lie. There's truth in it. It's just not meaningful. Yeah, you still have to be in a total net energy deficit regardless. Yeah. That's what plays the role there. Period. Should we go on to the next one? Oh, yeah. Let's hit it up. This What's one, number four? I remember learning about this, like, I think 2018, 2019, but this is Garcinia Cambogia. Is it still, yeah. do people still talk about it as often? I don't know if that particular ingredient is talked about, but it, I think it's still used in almost every, every single fat yeah. burning supplement. Yes. Yeah. So it's essentially a small yellow fruit that's found in most natural weight loss supplements you find. It's, if there is a blend of anything, like this is typically going to be in it. People will claim that it suppresses your appetite, increases metabolism, and blocks. The biggest one is blocking your body's ability to make fat. 
And there is not much on this. So there's very, very little research on these claims, on these mechanisms, because it's not plausible. So when something, there is no, for, uh, what was it, L-carnitine, mm. it makes sense. So the process it's involved in, that makes sense. There is more reason to research that because this is involved in this fat burning process. A lot of these claims, we're not seeing Garcinia cambogia pr produced in our body and this is what it's doing. Yeah. It plays an essential role. No, none at all. But for every study that shows it can help to some aspect to lose weight, there's another that shows it does the exact opposite or nothing at all. So, mm. and that's of a very minimal studies on Garcinia cambogia. And most of them are looking at just fat loss supplements in general and some with Garcinia cambogia in them. But you can't block your body's ability to make fat. Yeah, that, those two just, made a little sense. That one lost me a little bit. Yeah. And, but that was the one I saw the most common, especially when looking into it and trying to get a better understanding of what people thought it did. That's just not something you're able to do. And there's you're, not, you would probably, you would, your body would shut down and die. You couldn't store energy. That's not a good yeah. thing. And there's really not much to this one, to be honest, much, much detail to go into I found because you can't rely on anecdotal health claims for anything, but when there's yeah. not much there, like when there's not much research there and there's not much reason for there to be research on it, it's like, yeah, this became popular because of marketing and because of people talking about it. That's why it became popular. And there wasn't this misunderstanding of some process that it's involved in. So this one I really find – because it's like in so much, it was important to note, but there's nothing mm -hmm. exciting nothing about it. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Which, well, I think it's still important because that's where you'll notice a lot of these, it's just, it's marketing. And that's the same thing with the regulations in the supplement industry where it's very easy to jump over rules. Same, I mean, there's even less when it comes to how you market them and what you say mm -hmm. about them. Like for the yeah. Garcinia, like you don't need any evidence or proof to say, it blocks your body's ability to burn fat, but that sounds phenomenal. You're like, holy crap. Yeah. It can do that. Good. That's what I need. Mm -hmm. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So that's number four. Let's do numero tres, which you were saying you haven't heard of these, correct? Yeah. I, Called I, I, fat blockers. Mm -mm. Haven't heard of these. Okay. It's interesting because I actually have seen this in the bodybuilding supplement used more than not, but I know I've gotten a lot of questions on them recently and i wanted to add this one in this was actually not in the first original copy of this episode but i wanted to add them in so carbon fat blockers are substances that interfere with the digestion of carbohydrates and fats that's what they do or especially what they're marketed to do so the sales pitch is that it won't help you directly lose fat but it will help you from gaining any excess fat when you're overeating or eating whatever you want which is a super interesting mm. marketing technique, right? <laughs> super interesting. What if you just didn't absorb the calories you ate? They just end up going in one end, out the other. It's a good marketing pitch. It's a new angle. I'm proud of them for that. Uh, we but can that's make so idea. much money, Tony. That's we can seeing. make so much money. You could literally, like, I wonder if anyone that's ever listened to us has been like, you know what? I'm about to oh, just start gosh. fucking with people and start my own supplement company. Never we thought about so that, but it's funny. So I'm like, okay. We would never, because if you're listening to this, we love you too No, much. we can't. <laughs> but what if we just had a couple of listeners that were like, well, screw it. I just want to make a couple mil. 
but essentially that's the mechanism behind it right is the whole oh and that's where it's usually people market this as something you take with cheap meals make sure you take your car blocker this and that it's not necessarily i think marketed to take every day with every meal but just for like bigger meals and things like that and this is how they work or supposedly work but there's actually a little bit of truth behind this one too is time to time we discover that a compound it essentially gets in the way or blocks carbs and fats from being absorbed like we talked about in the absorption episode that we did a while ago certain compounds can interfere with the absorption of others and to this one it's a little challenging because these are macronutrients not micronutrients which that is where you see most of the interference which is kind of funny because yes macronutrient is defined as like the nutrients you need in larger quantities versus smaller but it's also kind of the truth in like the like actual molecular size of the nutrient mm -hmm. which i find interesting as well but if you can't absorb something in your intestines we usually can't store it in our tissue and we simply just poop it out right it goes through there if we can't actually utilize this now here's how these blockers do this it's either in one of two ways right first is there's an enzyme that's vital in digesting macronutrients and that blocker will target it and keep it from doing its job that's the first way right this is called indirect inhibition the second way is that the blocker will itself seek out and bind to the carb or fat molecule so when the blocker and target are connected the target can't be absorbed this is called direct inhibition and the first way is more common indirect right where there's an enzyme that's vital in digesting that micronutrient and the blocker will target and keep it from doing its job. That's the most common in these supplements, at least what it is. For example, one is white kidney bean extract, usually the most common I think you'll find in there. And it works by blocking the A amylase enzyme, the enzyme that mediates the digestion of starches, for example, which is a lot of carbs. So that's where they kind of take this marketing angle is, oh, well, if we take white kidney bean extract with a high carb meal, we won't digest the carbs and then we won't use them or store. That's where they kind of go down this rabbit trail. And here's why they're on the top three worst. Because so far you're like, wait a second, this is genius, right? I can just eat cheat meals, eat whatever I want. As long as I take these magic pills, poof, it goes, but it goes gone. Now they do have mm. some benefit in slightly reducing weight gain in research of very high caloric times. And this is not something that's really even that meaningful. But for the purpose of fat loss, they, they're imperfect bandages that encourage just bad habit formation in the first place. One, they don't do what they're marketed to do that well. It might interfere a little bit, but not to the point where it's going to make a meaningful difference. And two, it's telling people, hey, it's okay to eat whatever you want and lose weight. Just take your magic supplement with it, even though it's not going to work in the first place. Now, someone who continually seeks out carbon fat blockers and attempt to lose weight is probably someone who's either unable to or unwilling to just eat less food to make a more practical change in their lifestyle to make this progress in the first place. And on top of this, it can cause short-term diarrhea, cramping, flatulence, right? Farts. It does all this, but the scary thing to me is this doesn't just interfere with digestion of the macronutrients. It interferes with digestion as a whole of other nutrients. Mm -hmm. So if you rely on this sometime, there's not really any long-term data showing what can happen if you're really screwing with how your body digests things on a regular basis. And that's the scary part of this. And I think that's just why it made our list here is there's a mechanism that technically in theory makes sense, but there's no research where this plays out really at all in a meaningful way. No. And, it's and it could cause more damage. Serious digestive issues. Yeah. Serious digestive issues. Exactly. That's where I'm like, yeah, I thought no, you'd I... like this one. I'm surprised you haven't yeah. really heard of these before. 
No. I, these supplements. Is there like a name? Like a I think they're name? really. Oh, what, there's a name. There's a common one, yes, but they're usually just sold as carbon fat blockers. Oh. And they're big in the bodybuilding world because the word cheat meal is still very widely used. And that's usually how it's marketed is like you can have an extra cheat meal per week. Just take this pill and it won't negatively impact you. And I think that's where it just the marketing comes in. But if you've heard of those, yeah, yo, it's on the list. And let's keep yeah. moving because I'm honestly more excited to get to the top five. All right. So we've yeah, gone through five, four, three. This, Give us two. number two. This one's apple cider vinegar. And it's still oh. around now, mostly for the whole blood sugar camp who's like you know you're insulin resistant you gotta keep your blood sugar down whatever Mm -hmm. i can't stand apple cider vinegar the gummies whatever it is people saying that it helps you burn fat reduce your appetite it's disgusting first of all i see people taking shots of this one, what it does to your teeth, horrific for breaking down your enamel. It it doesn't taste good. Like there's nothing fun about putting vinegar in your water in the morning. Whoever says that they're lying. It doesn't taste good. I have but, tried that before. The warm, it just, it makes, that was the thing, right? Is instead of shooting it, it's like, oh, mix it with water and it tastes better. It yeah, just drags no. out how long it tastes bad for. It's so yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> and where this really could, does potentially get, you know, there's, some reason in terms of how this has gotten so out of hand from the claims is that there have been some studies that show it can help control blood sugar. That is true. If you do have high blood sugar and you eat a very carb-rich meal and you typically struggle to get your blood sugar back down, taking apple cider vinegar with that meal has been shown to help bring back your bring back down your blood sugar levels. That is absolutely true. The extent to which it does that better than medication? No, it absolutely does not. Is it recommended instead of any medication for diabetics? No, it absolutely is not. But that is where people will get to you. It helps reduce appetite, burn body fat. If you are someone who struggles with high blood sugar and you find something that might help it keep it at bay after a carb-rich meal, then you're not going to feel like you're still very, very hungry even after eating. If you're generally starting to be able to eat meals that you feel like you're not as hungry after you eat them and not always reaching for food and you have some weight to lose, yeah, you're going to lose some weight. Can that be attributed to the apple cider vinegar itself? But no, but that's where I could see, I understand where this can maybe get taken out of context and a little bit out of hand. Yeah. It burning body fat. I don't see that as much now, but when it first started, oh, when it came out, that was hot. that was like really what it was all about. Is this is going to help you burn fat and lose weight? And there's zero support in the literature that it should be used for weight or fat loss at all. But there is some data supporting a small effect on appetite and insulin sensitivity. That's all. Why I say it's why I think it's one of the worst is because, first of all, how just drinking vinegar can affect your digestion. It's, yes, your stomach acid is very acidic, but having that go through your body every single day, drinking lots of it, cannot be, is not the best mm. for your digestive system. It's not the best for your teeth. It does nothing in terms of losing weight at all or burning fat at all. And it's craziness that you have these gummies now that will say increases your metabolism, burns fat, 
when that's never been shown. Yeah. And it's still like the apple cider vinegar gummies are still so popular. I was going to say the gum. So, I feel like the gummies are still popular. The, I'm seeing less yeah. people drink it, but the gummies are a new thing because I feel like they're just making everything into a gummy now. Creatine gummies. Yeah. Apple cider. Mm-hmm. Everything is gummy now. Yeah. I just think, I mean, if you want to drink vinegar, I'll power to you. If you do struggle with high blood sugar, I recommend having some fiber with a hefty carbohydrate meal, like maybe eating a fiber-rich salad before a hefty carbohydrate meal because you're going to get a lot more out of that. You're going to get more mm-hmm. micronutrients. It's going to taste better. It's not going to ha- it's going to have a better effect in the long term on your overall health than apple cider vinegar. So, that'd be my recommendation. <laughs> the gummies were especially hot. I remember when we were filming this the first time. I was seeing them pop up everywhere, which I think they're still hot. But back in March, I think that's when the gummies must have just come out or had caught fire. They've I been around for a while, but I remember the like goalie gummies just getting talked about a lot. It's so funny how quick things change because people aren't talking about them as much anymore. They even reached out to me in an email for a partnership once. I'm like, you've never seen a single video of mine. You have Those no are my idea favorite. who I am. The companies that reach out that it's like you you didn't even spend a minute on our profile did you like the peach perfect creatine that was a funny one yeah it's so funny i'm like i've literally talked about your products before and how much they suck like you don't want to work with me but so ridiculous you should almost just accept it so they send you free product and then just throw it away and be like ha stick it to the Uh, wasteful and also i think it would be more funny if i didn't have to send in content for them to review and i just completely shitted on them and i got paid to do it and they just never realized until after. okay that actually that would be a funny that would take. be hilarious that'd be a funny take but now let's race through the last one top five worst so we're gonna race through the top five worst to get to the best because there's a few big ones i think people are gonna especially be interested on number one or two of that list but to round off the top five worst we got cla conjugated linoleic acid now this one i don't think is as sorry conjugated linoleic acid (laughs) that's you're kind of like my not thesaurus or dictionary you're my autocorrect my speech autocorrect but this one i don't think has ever been as viral it's never gone viral for what it is like i have apple cider like like half of these things have Mm -hmm. but it's been commonly just sold and sold and sold and it's just never been properly i think addressed because of that it's never been viral it's never caught the mass amounts of attention but it's still one of those things that's sold everywhere now cla is an omega-6 fatty acid it's found in meat and dairy now cla acts on a system known as the ppar to induce fat loss in the body right same thing kind of like with l-carnitine where it is now the ppar system helps regulate energy production, lipid metabolism, and inflammation. So the claims of taking more CLA through supplementation says, and these claims are kind of one of those like those silver bullets, the panacea, the cure-alls, where that should raise a red flag initially if it's like, oh, the claims are helps increase your lean muscle mass while decreasing your fat mass, while increasing your bone health and density, while help controlling your blood sugar, while improving your skin, hair, and nails. It does everything. It's the one thing you need, right? Those are the claims. Mm-hmm. Those are the claims because, again, there's that mechanism of its action on the PPR system. Now, when you look at this in reality, its impact on this system is so small, so, so, so insignificantly small, but it's still technically there. It just has no notable effect whatsoever. And if you look at this in any line of research, because there's actually been a decent amount, and you can, I would say, go to examine.com if you want to review all of it. But all human studies on CLA are very unreliable 
and the overall effects seem are extremely contradicting. They lack any consistency. And there's usually a very big lack of control in diet and lifestyle to the point where you can't count on anything, any benefit from taking this product. That's bottom line of what it is, similar with the rest of these, but it's just one of those that I don't think has been addressed because it hasn't gotten that viral attention yet. You know, I thought it was important to add to the list. And we've got the honorable mentions down there. Ooh, we got raspberry ketones, which I still see the Popular ketones. One. Yeah. Green tea extract. Hootia. It's another one that's, it's not sold as an individual ingredient a lot. It's just, it's just in a lot of fat loss supplements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any detox or cleanse and BCAAs, which we have a whole episode on BCAAs, right? I, was gonna, I think in the initial episode, we spent an entire little block going over BCAAs, but we're like, we've talked about it so much. We can't yeah. just beat that anymore. So if you're still confused about BCAAs, just search it in our bar and I promise it'll pop up and you'll be like, oh. That makes a lot yeah, more sense. Yeah, I think sense. it was just in like our worst supplements. Did we do like a, the worst yeah, supplements? Yeah, we did We did overall roundup? best and worst supplements. Yeah. Not geared towards any specific goal, but that made the overall worst for yeah. certain because they're <laughs> still sold at an insane rate today. Yeah. But now it's time for the goodies. Now, okay, I do want to preface this because again, we're about honesty. When we're making a top five list, top five sounds great because you want a, a solid number like five, a prime number. It's a good one. We came up with five of the worst. We only could really fit in four of the best supplements for we couldn't think of a fat bit. loss and weight loss. We couldn't <laughs> think of a fifth that deserved a spot. And that's just yeah. being honest and transparent, which honestly doesn't shock me too, too much because mm -hmm. of how much we hammer this home. But there's going to be four that actually will make a notable difference in accomplishing yeah. your goal for fat loss. One of them, I guarantee you, most people have not heard of. Others probably haven't heard on this list used in this context or as fat loss supplements, which I think is interesting too. Now, in this list, like we said, the only three things that can improve or speed up fat loss are going to be either things that increase your TDEE or what most people refer to as metabolism, suppress your appetite or hunger, making it easier to stick to a diet, or three, it makes any process of the dieting aspect easier. Now, this one is kind of two products. It's same, same, but different. Number one on our list is either a whey protein isolate or a casein protein. A casein protein, which I don't think many people know about as much. It's not as talked about as whey. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I actually thought it was pronounced casein up until like a year and a half ago. I realized it was casein and I'd been saying it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this entire time. Now, the difference between the two, and I think casein actually edges out whey when it comes down to fat loss. And I'll explain why here in a second. Now, Whey and casein protein powders, they're more similar than different, okay? They're both derived from milk. We know that. We've talked a lot about how whey and whey isolate, it's derived, from, it's a milk protein, right? Where they isolate it away from the carbs, the fats that come with milk to make it an easy protein source. Now, they're both derived from milk. They're both high in all nine essential amino acids, making them complete proteins. And almost all research shows that they are essentially identical in terms of muscle building. When you separate groups into mm. a whey protein group or a casein protein group with the same resistance training, they gain similar muscle. So it's not going to really impact you there. Now, the difference between the two, the main difference is that whey protein and whey protein isolate is quickly digested, right? So it causes a large spike in blood levels of amino acids with a quicker fallback to baseline within about two to three hours compared to casein, casein, I just did it again, which is digested much, much slower, right? So it causes a blood amino acid to stay elevated, 
for up to about six hours after you take the casein shake compared to just two or three. And this hasn't been well observed in research, but some people claim that because it is, it elevates amino acid in the blood longer, that because of that, it would be better for building muscle and preserving muscle during weight loss because it's keeping those amino acid levels in your bloodstream raised higher longer. This hasn't been observed in research, so it never really translates over when we look at it. But it's that mechanism, which again, sounds good, makes sense in theory, but it's one of those problems that we run into again, where it's, you can't really claim that because every time we test it on people, it doesn't work out. Yeah. It's identical in that fashion. But here's where I think casein deserves the edge overway. And I want to see if you agree with me here. Is the hunger and the satiety benefit? Because we're going to talk, these shakes deserve a spot on the list because one, it's easy to stay in a low calorie, high protein diet when you have a shake that is essentially... 90% of its calories coming from protein compared to steak, which is only like 60% of calories coming from protein, nearly 40% from eggs. They're helpful in sticking to a low calorie, high protein diet. But I think the edge goes to casein because one thing you do notice with the slower digestion is it typically keeps you fuller longer compared to whey, which protein in general is great for satiating you, keeping you full. But casein slows down digestion and has a notable impact on people reporting the feeling of fullness much longer compared to whey. I think that's where this deserves the edge because how important is that when you're trying yeah. to lose weight? Yeah. I mean, I am to I'm the type of person that if I'm just having a protein, sh I don't just have protein alone with like milk or something as a shake because I don't feel satisfied versus if I put whey protein isolate in oatmeal compared to when I have oatmeal without protein, I definitely notice a difference, but I need more of that. I don't feel just with whey protein isolate alone, that satiety factor when I don't yeah. have any, like some people, it's definitely very individual, but I could see that making more sense with casein. Casein? Now I'm going to yeah. pronounce it wrong. Nailed it. But its goal is going to be to do that. So that's why I think it deserves the edge, but protein in general and protein shakes, why we're not knocking whey on this at all. And I would say even Legion does not compromise when it comes to quality and they have a casein shake as well that tastes pretty bomb. So if you do want like the cleanest form to get, I would say it's not worth, I mean, it's worth trying out Legion's if you want to see if that really can help your hunger, your cravings, your satiety. And we don't mention this a lot. Legion has a no questions asked money back guarantee. Even if you don't like the flavor, tell them and they'll send you your money back. Right. Yeah. And that's, I just want to give you that if you're curious about trying it, because I do think something that can control your appetite could make a massive difference. Mm -hmm. in how well you're able to stick to this for fat loss. Yeah. But and outside a supplement, of I get people, whenever I talk about easy, high protein sources, a lot of which I'm not including, like the whole foods are the best when it comes to also getting micronutrients and also having your chewing. So you're going through that whole digestive process. You're sitting down mm -hmm. and eating it with a meal. That's gold standard. That's what you should aim for. Yeah. But it's typically not that E that easy. It's not that easy. It can be yeah. very hard to meet your protein goal and get enough. But protein supplements make it so much more realistic and so much easier to hit yeah. that goal. So if anyone's thinking, you know, we're just telling you to slam just protein powder, not at all. Yeah. But I know I mean, that gets especially if you're in a deficit, because you once people realize, I think that's what is the challenge for so many people, is they realize how many calories they're supposed to be eating to lose fat in a deficit. And then how high their protein goal really is yeah. when they use a calculator, like one of our calculators. And they're like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to get this much protein? Because that's the thing. Like if you have protein from steak or red meat or eggs, 
it comes with a lot of extra calories from fats, yeah. from carbs, from all these other sources where and you can only proteins... eat so much lean ground turkey until you want to die. Exactly. So it, <laughs> these just make it easy where it tastes like a treat. You can do that. And it's just like, this is just very, very clear. Like protein is one of the most, if not the most important aspect outside of your calorie intake. When it comes to fat loss, it's going to help you mm -hmm. preserve muscle mass far better off. So your resting metabolic rate or your BMR stays elevated as you lose fat. It increases your thermic effect of food. So how many calories you're actually burning, digesting the food you eat. It lessens your mood disturbance, your stress, your fatigue, and your cravings during a deficit. All these things that make it easier. So that's why it's number one on the list. I know people a lot of times think oh, protein shakes are for muscle, bro. That's what they think. People are like, what do you mean protein shakes for fat loss? It's like, yeah, it's probably more important for fat loss than it is for building muscle. Oh my God. When I was vegan, I was hungry and I was meeting my protein goal, but plant protein's effect on satiety is completely different um, mm -hmm. than animal. But I was hungry all the fucking time. I literally, it was the worst feeling, like feeling that hungry sucks. There's nothing worse than feel just always thinking about how hungry you are and waiting for your next meal and knowing after your next meal, you're still going to be hungry. But I like would even sometimes feel physically full, but I'm so not satisfied. And it was that all I needed was animal protein. Like it can yeah, just it instantly changed. Like I, it just was a wonder. I probably would get a lot of heat for that from the vegans, but it just really helps don't so care much. at this point. So that's number one. Now I think number two, I think there's two more that are going to shock people on this list. I think this is one of them. Yeah, think, because it's this not one's market, for sure. like not market how we are loss. speaking about these is in terms of how they can help you if your goal is to lose fat, right? Yes. Not saying that these are going to cause you to burn fat like most fat burning supplements do, but this is creatine, creatine monohydrate. What? We have a whole episode on it. It's our most listened to episode from the very, was it our first episode or? It was number five. Number five. So definitely go give that a listen. Honestly, kind of scared. Our fifth episode. Not sure how the quality of that, but I know I'm like, like I almost it. want to redo it because uh, I haven't even revisited that one in a while. But it's got. But yeah, go give it a listen. Got good if you want a more in depth review. Yes, but this is really related to, I would say, a few things. So, creatine has been known. It's one of the most widely. It is the most widely studied supplements with the most available human randomized controlled trials on it to date. And it's the most well-known for its effectiveness to improve performance. That is what can attribute to how this can be very helpful. It can improve your performance in the gym to a small degree enough to help you really maintain your strength during a calorie deficit. And I feel like people may so underestimate how important that is. And that's also really hard to do. If you're maintaining your strength during a calorie deficit, that's one of the number one signs that if you're not maintaining your strength, that can be mm -hmm. the number one sign that you're losing muscle and you want to preserve Huge. as much muscle as possible when you are in a deficit. And that's where I think, that's where I find that it can be really helpful in this aspect to give you that extra push to just go a little bit harder, move a little bit further in the gym in terms of your progress while being in a deficit, holding on to that yeah. as much lean muscle mass as you can. Yeah. Um, That's the number one sign you're losing muscle during a deficit, which, and we don't have to go into it more, but if you're unfamiliar or you're just turning in, when we've talked about fat loss before, that's the big difference between weight loss and fat loss and how you really want your goal to be fat loss, 
you're not losing your muscle because that's what's keeping your resting metabolic rate where it's at. If you're losing mm -hmm. muscle, it's not just like, oh, we might lose size a little bit, lose strength, but that's where the effect on the metabolism goes down. And that just hurts mm -hmm. you for long-term weight loss so much more than if you can't. So just like you're saying, keeping creatine monohydrate can give you that little extra performance edge to help you maintain, which I think people forget about this all the time. We talk about progressive overload. We just did that episode on it, I believe a couple of weeks ago. If you're losing body weight, but you are maintaining your strength, that is a form of progressive overload because you're increasing your relative workload. You're a smaller person lifting relatively more weight. And people yeah. don't really realize that that much. And creatine can really help that because that's usually one of the biofeedback methods you use to tell how long is too long to stay in a calorie deficit. There's not a magic mm -hmm. number that you can pull out of air. Listen to your body. When your sleep starts going downhill, when you start losing strength, you should probably be backing out of a calorie deficit. That's usually a good time to start reversing, switching to a little maintenance, bulk, whatever you want to do. That's usually one of the first signs to say, hey, get out of this because you do not want to lose muscle. It's so much harder to build than it is to lose fat. So you do not yeah. want to waste any time building that muscle at mm -hmm. all. So creatine and whey. So I was going to say probably the two biggest known muscle building supplements made our top two for fat loss. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, which I, it makes you think a little bit because when you're talking, it, it goes to show how fat loss is not simple. It's not something that there is one, one thing you can do and it's going to be effective, right? There mm. are, are many things to consider and especially to make it a little bit of an easier process because it's not easy. It's not going to be. Anyone that tells you that and to be consistent, you know, that's not easy. But there are ways you can do it so it feels like there's less friction, like you feel like you can be successful and you feel like you're not absolutely killing yourself, but you don't have to lean on these supplements that don't do jack shit for you. It doesn't mean that there's going to be some magic pill that's going to make you not have to do any work, but exactly. going into the third one. Number um, three, because we got, okay, so we got two more left. Yeah. One you might have more. heard of, dude, I'm so pumped to talk about the last one. The last one. I'm sorry. I can't contain my excitement. I'm caffeined <laughs> up. I'm excited. There's uh, but this next one, I think people are, would probably expect is caffeine. So, and again, this is not saying that like, if you're just drinking coffee to go pound coffee in the morning. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But when you consume caffeine, adrenaline is released by the body and this causes an increase in metabolic rate, which can speed up weight loss. This effect also decreases though with caffeine tolerance. So mm -hmm. you can learn more about this. We have a whole caffeine episode. That's a great one. It's also to us. It can increase your metabolic rate to a small degree, right? that's going to have a small extra push. If you're not putting in the work, if you're not in an energy deficit, if you're not strength training, this isn't going to really have a notable effect on your fat loss experience. Yeah. But. I was like, it technically increases your metabolic rate, but not to a degree that's meaningful. Right. Yeah, so we have to put yeah. it in there because it does, but it's, that's not why you take, I think the next, the other reasons are the usually why is, caffeine are big. Yeah. It can suppress appetite following ingestion. And I think that this is also some people say this, is absolutely true for me. Some people don't really notice it, but there's a significant drop in ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone in the body. But when you drink it, but the satiety lasts only about six, 60 to 120 minutes. It's not something yeah. that's going to be something you notice throughout the day, which most people are probably like, yeah, that makes sense. I have my coffee, wait a little while, 
sometimes go to the bathroom, don't really feel like I want any food after I have my coffee, but that's just, it's a temporary feeling, but that could also help people not overeat as much for breakfast, say in the morning. Yeah. Just help bridging gaps through the day, big time. And that's, cause that's usually with any stimulant, you usually, there's some effect on satiety and caffeine is just, as it gets metabolized, it lasts a few hours, but can be helpful in bridging gaps. Yeah. But it is not, I just want to point this out because just being, I used to be a early twenties female, believe it or not, I'm now in the late edge of that and I'm old, but this will bite you in the ass. If you are using it to skip meals, it will absolutely bite you in the ass. And I know that there are people listening that have definitely done this before or do it now. And especially in college, it's very popular. It is temporary and you do build a tolerance to caffeine you will be way more hungry later if you are using it to skip meals. And that can lead to a lot of binge episodes. I have seen it a lot with a lot of people and it is very common. So just don't do that's Don't do that. I just feel like I needed to bring that up just because. It's important because like you're saying, like it's there and it can be used as a good tool to help if like with a little afternoon hunger or a little mid morning yeah. hunger to get you there. But that's the same thing that you see with like a lot of people who, do the same thing with like ADHD medication. Mm-hmm. As soon as it wears off, the hunger just swoops in and that's where you're just ravenous. You're just ravenous mm-hmm. from it, yeah. which can be dangerous. Yeah. But I think the biggest one that I can think of is the fatigue aspect where it can kind of help, right? Yeah, I think so too. I think that and the appetite, but I think that this is a lot more realistic just in a general thing to think about that I feel like a lot of people don't is – Yes, caffeine reduces fatigue, but how much fatigue can get in the way when you're trying to reduce your caloric intake on a diet? When you are tired and you are lethargic, it is much harder to control your impulses. Even think about when you're overtired, you haven't gotten much sleep. What do you want? You want comforting food. Your cravings are going to be a little bit louder. You're not going to have as much energy to put into thinking about having a healthy meal. There And fatigue that a lot of people experience, especially when you go into the workforce, it makes it harder to have, feel like you have that control over your massive, what you actually want. It's why we talk about how important stress and sleep management is, which is why we're doing, we just did in the metrics, the last episode about how to better track and manage stress. And then I know we're doing a sleep episode in the future too, because it's hard. It's not as easy as just like, oh yeah, I'll just be less stressed or I'll sleep better. (laughs) Not that easy, but fatigue gets in the way. And that's why it's so important is sleep and stress. It's not going to make a notable impact on your metabolism, on how many calories you're burning in a day. It's not. What it's going to do is help you stay in control the rest of the day. So same thing when you're in a deficit, especially the longer you stay in a deficit, the more the fatigue builds up, the more fatigue you feel in your workout. So you're not able to push it as hard. Your strength starts to go down. So I think that's where caffeine can help. But I think I would really recommend listening to that caffeine episode because we talked more about the tolerance building to it. Because if you abuse it in a way where you just rely on caffeine now instead of sleep, instead of anything else, it can increase the fatigue you feel because it no longer does anything and you're just constantly battling to get back to baseline. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there before where my caffeine intake goes higher and higher. And I'm like, this isn't even doing anything anymore. Yeah. You know, so I think that's I just where it's, it's a it. one. So yeah. I used to be addict, literally addicted to caffeine. I would have six big cups of coffee every single day when I was in grad school and it was not doing anything. And it was, I kept doing it because the 
side effects of the withdrawal from the caffeine. Yeah. I hated. I just couldn't finished. I graduated, kicked the habit, which I'm lucky that I could say I could do that because honestly, some people can't. They genuinely can't. But it's just it's not worth it. And now when I have a cup of coffee, I'm like, wow, like this right. is great. It brings you joy. I feel like, so good. <laughs> which oh, because I'm like, it's crazy because like what did we say in that episode, like 90% of the world population uses caffeine. Yeah. On a daily basis. It's insane. But as it's I'm one of those things caffeine again. free beverage. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's again, use it as a tool, right? To bridge a gap, to help with performance in the gym if it's towards the end of the deficit. Don't abuse it and say, oh, this works for this. Let me just use it for everything. Mm-hmm. It's not where we go. Now, to round off the list, I was telling you about this one, what, like two weeks ago? I think it was? Yes. Yeah. Do, and I'm going to be a skeptic about it. I want you to be. going to teach. I want you to be. Because this is, it's kind of insane because there's actually a decent amount of human research on it. Now, I actually got turned on to this while listening to a Mike Matthews podcast and then kind of remembering now, oh my God, this popped up. This is extremely popular in the bodybuilding community. If mm-hmm. you ask anybody in that community, they've heard of either it's called like the EC stack or the ECA stack, which is where you essentially mix this with caffeine and with aspirin, but that's not used anymore because it doesn't do anything. But it's ephedra or ephedrine. Ephedrine. If you've ever heard of this word, it kind of rings a bell. Because it used to be used in almost every fat-burning supplement before, I think it was 2005, sold over there. Now, what is it, before we go into it real quick, ephedrine is just a stimulant, right? Now, what it does, and these are the claims that we're going to show you how this actually works, because the claims don't sound that different than anything else, right? Ephedrine is a stimulant that essentially kills your appetite while also significantly increasing your resting metabolic rate or the calories you burn through the day. And actually more so compared to any other natural compound we know of, more than caffeine, even though we're going to talk about how when mixed together, it has a bigger impact, right? So not only can it increase how many calories you're burning in a day, and we'll talk about by how much exactly, because it's not a game changer in any meaning of the word, but it makes sticking to your diet easier, which is why I think most people use it and can be helpful. And I'll go through my anecdotal experience too, because I started using it to test before going into anything as well. Is it available over the counter? So right now, and that's where I was going to go to in the dosages. So it was up until 2005, and I'll I'll break through this down below. But it's no longer able to be bought just in a medication in the store. It's over the counter at any pharmacy. And it's actually an asthma medication, like Broncade. So you need a prescription? No, you don't need a prescription. It's over the counter at a pharmacy. So you just walk up. It's controlled. like I think it's like Benadryl or something else. You can just go up to the pharmacy and buy it, but it's not prescription-wise. Now, oh, okay. Yeah, because so, that was where I was a little – and I know it's they don't different. want people buying too much, so it's like controlled in terms of how much you can get, and you probably need to be over 18 or Exactly, something. exactly. They just control how much you can get so that people aren't buying an insane like amount Like NyQuil. Of they do that with NyQuil now. <laughs> oh, really? Like, I haven't used yeah. that in a while, but I didn't know that. I mean, mm-hmm. it makes sense. That stuff knocks you the freak yeah, out. Bad. But <laughs> – Anywho, so it makes, and I think that's the big aspect of why it's so popular is the appetite suppression effect and how well it's easy to control. Now, let's talk about the research done on this before I tell you how it actually works a little bit, because here's the research that actually had a notable effect. Now, a study done out of the Pennington Biomedical Research Center, right, this is in Baton Rouge, showed that a healthy, or sorry, that in healthy, overweight and obese adults, the combination of this is called the quote unquote, EC stack or ephedrine and caffeine because they work synergistically together much better than either of them do apart. But 
the combination of 70 milligrams of caffeine and 24 milligrams of ephedra increased the metabolic rate by 8% over the following two hours tested compared to the placebo. Now, over a 12-week trial, ingestion of these combination, again, of ephedra and caffeine, three times per day, separated by about four hours, which we'll go over in dosing and stuff like that, led to a reduction of 7.9% body fat compared to just 1.9% body fat in the placebo. Pretty notable difference. Not due to the increase in metabolism, but overall. Now, a six-month, so much longer study, right, with 167 overweight and obese people by research at the, uh, or researchers at, the, at Columbia University, they compared a supplement containing ephedrine and caffeine to a placebo during a weight loss program, and the group taking ephedrine lost close to 10 pounds, 9.5 pounds of fat compared to the placebo, which lost nearly half of that, only 5.9 pounds of body fat. So when you stack it up, and this is two of a couple different trials that notice this, it stacks up pretty well, but I want to get into, I think, why it has this impact, right? So ephedrine, it's just, it's extracted from a shrub that grows in China called ephedra, Seneca, right? Essentially why it's used in asthma medication is it relaxes your airways, then just makes breathing easier, right? That's what it usually does to treat asthma. The common cold flu is what it's commonly used for over the world. Now it works as a stimulant as well by binding to receptors in your cells that respond to chemicals called catecholamines, right? Like adrenaline, noradrenaline, dopamine. Now these trigger that fight or flight sympathetic, just like a lot of different stimulants do physical response. So you do also notice an increase in heart rate, a decrease in hunger and accelerating fat and glycogen oxidation or the burning of, right? And it seems to work pretty well together matched with caffeine. Cause when you separate these two, they have a small impact, but when you combine them, there's been a noticeable, actually positive impact, right? Known as the EC stack in bodybuilding. Now research shows that this EC stack can increase your RMR resting metabolic rate by about 5% over a 24 hour period, which translates to not that much, right? It's about a third of a pound of fat loss per week in the average man which isn't a game changer, right? It's, it's the equivalent of about a 30 minute walk every day, but it's not bad when we're thinking about, there's not really anything that's not an anabolic steroid that does this, right? There's no natural compound that does this outside of that. And the biggest effect that I think is why you see such notable differences in weight loss and why it's so common in bodybuilding is the appetite suppression, right? And this is one thing I'll go through my experience and several clients too, but not as anything as proof in the pudding too, because we're going to go through drawbacks because there is some, right? But this is along with any other sympathetic nervous system stimulant. Appetite suppression happens. And for some reason with this one, it zaps, right? With ephedrine, it looks like a much higher level to where you just don't get hungry. And I'll tell you just from personal experience too, you just don't experience hunger. You don't experience a complete like disappetite of food, but you just don't notice that hungry. And I, I mean, there's reports of people who are, being satiated on very little food, which I'm not recommending you do at all. But I think this is by far the biggest thing that prevents someone from being successful losing weight is their appetite. And I think that's why this is so common. And we're going to go over risks here in a second. This is not a, a panacea silver bullet at all, but that's why I think it's so common is this appetite suppression, which I think is interesting. And at least from my personal use, and this is not to say that it does this in a good or bad way, like caffeine, where if you skip meals, you're going to be hungry later. But even in my personal experience, it was something that I never noticed that increase in hunger afterwards. And I went on this for a few days in a row and then off. And it didn't really change all too much. There wasn't any higher low swings. 
But it was so interesting because this isn't talked about outside of the bodybuilding community nearly at all. I think it's because it used to be an herbal because FDA removed it as a dietary herbal supplement yeah. in 2004. So I think that's probably why that it's yeah. because it is still harder to, I would have to look at it at a state level because I wonder if it differs between states in terms of like availability what, and what the, restrictions yeah. are on it. Yeah. I mean, it could so, be because I was going to say there are risks. It's a stimulant, right? And there's risks involved. But here's where I think it's a little – It's almost, Yeah, that's why it was taken off because of the adverse events yeah. from it. But it was, now you can still use it under medical supervision. Yeah, but this is what surprises me. Well, And even honestly though, because I think it might say that, but even without it, because you can just buy this at a pharmacy in most cases. Yeah, but it's advised to be used with – Yeah. Well, cause, and I think here's the thing that I think caught the news of ephedrine. And here's the, and I do want to put this because I wanted to play devil's advocate too, because there's been a lot of notable adverse side effects to caffeine alone as a stimulant. It's just not widely as used, which I thought was interesting. But there was an overdose in the early 2000s of an MLB player, Steve, mm-hmm. Steve Beckler, right? An overdose, like he died of a heat stroke. And the autopsy report showed that he had a supplement with a, I mean, he had a very high dose of ephedrine the morning of. And people saw this and were like, oh my God, this is terrible because they know like any stimulant it's going to increase your heart rate it could increase blood pressure even though when i tracked mine it didn't because i tracked mine three times per day as i was taking on and off but anything like that has risks that come along with it now what i thought was interesting because i dug on this because i'm like this sounds a little sketchy so i dug a little bit differently and that's why i think it's also banned in like ncaa mlb nfl pga and the olympic committee you can't have this tested in your body but when you investigated this overdose with Steve Beckler, there was a one, a ridiculously high amount of ephedrine in his system, ridiculous, like more than any recommended amount. And he died of a heat stroke. And here's the crazy part about this heat stroke. There's a few things that I dug that I'm like, why was this not mentioned in the news? One, he has had prior heat related incidents dating back to high school, meaning fainting, heat, like fainting from heat stroke, back to high school without this supplement, right? He had a a family history of sudden death following exercise. His 20-year-old brother also died of an aneurysm from a heat stroke years earlier, which I'm like, that's terrible for the family, but family history of that. He had existing hypertension and existing liver problems. This is before supplementation. At the time of his death, he hadn't eaten solid food in almost two days because he was attempting to lose weight for, I'm assuming something to do with the MOB. And he was wearing two to three layers of clothing during his workout, three at the time of his death, where he collapsed at a core temperature of 106 degrees Fahrenheit was his core temperature. That's crazy. Right. So all of these things lined up. And I'm like, I just don't think my honest opinion, there's risks that come with any stimulant. Even with caffeine, you shouldn't just start taking high doses until you talk to someone who's supervising your health, in my opinion. Even with something like caffeine, even though it's very widely used, Right. But with all these negative things, I don't think it's fair to say he died from ephedrine because I just don't think that's the case with the family history, what he was doing, how he was treating his health, the prior conditions. I just don't think that's really fair, right? Did it play a role in it? Can't can't really say, it, but if anything, I it mean, seems taking small. that much of it definitely did. If he's not eating, like he probably experienced a really bad reaction to it because he was so like he was already putting him in a state 
his body yeah. in a state where he couldn't handle that. You know what like I mean? Like imagine, yeah. Imagine like a high dose, like a 600 milligram caffeine dose when you haven't eaten in two days on an empty stomach. It's like, I feel like you'd vomit first of all, but yeah, that's beside the point. But there's even another analysis, and this was over 52 different clinical trials. And when taken at a responsible dose, there was no adverse events noted as death, as heart attack, with ephedrine, with or without caffeine alongside of that. Now, again, when I was comparing what it actually does compared to caffeine, it doesn't seem that different. I just, I really think there is that social boundary of caffeine is something 90% of people on the globe use on a day-to-day basis. So we're willing to put up with it more. I think honestly, same thing with like alcohol. Like it's so normally used where it's like, look at alcohol and cigarettes and alcohol or other drugs and why there's different regulations on certain drugs that are much less damaging to our health is alcohol, but alcohol is just normal. So we don't worry about that. So, well, I think it's because of it being a supplement, like, like caffeine pills. Yeah. There's supplements for that, but like, true. I think it got banned as a supplement because of the amount of adverse reactions to it and like reports of bad things happening to people Yeah, because it was an herbal supplement. So here it says in the analogs of internal medicine that ephedra products, when they were around, they made up 1% of herbal supplement sales in the US, but they were responsible for 62% of herb-related reports of poison control centers. Yes. So I think because it was under yeah, the context, in that umbrella. Like it was it's unsafe. And it's I personally think it still shouldn't be classified as a supplement because it definitely needs to obviously be regulated in terms of how much people could take. I was like, but is I it still that classified are... as a supplement? Because no, I agree with no, you. No, no. I don't think it should it's be just not. sold over the counter supplement. It wasn't. In 2004, it got banned as being sold as an herbal supplement. Yeah. Because I, I, I agree with you why. there. It shouldn't be just because it's something that comes with risks. Like it comes with risks 100%. So I'm not saying everyone jump on this, but I do think it has some potential power. I think it should be explored more and talked about more and researched more in the future, but with its effects and how. I just think the hunger control and things like that can really help. Is there any long-term data on it? Like more than most of the data is over the several months. And this is because it's not something that's recommended you take on a daily basis. It's not something you recommend taking for very long term. It's usually something I think why it's popular in bodybuilding is taken during the final like eight to 12 weeks of a cut max. Right. So there's no long-term data that says this is safe or unsafe, but in the short term, I think three to six months is usually where the cutoff is for most of the research. Going on, but you know, people wouldn't like. That's the thing. People are so well. That's they hear like, something. You abuse it like, too. Oh, I'm gonna take it forever because, and that's when you. That's why you have because people are fuck. People don't. It's, like, it's that's the why there as, was so many issues because people don't know how to listen if they hear something and they want it. They're like, yeah, I'm, ex- exactly. They're <laughs> like, oh my god, I don't have to eat. I'm gonna take this forever. It's gonna be part of my daily yeah. vitamin stack or whatever it is. And that's where it's like, no, this is not, it's powerful. I mean, kind of like all the new drugs getting, not even on the same level, but all the new drugs with like research coming out with like MDMA in therapy and trauma and PTSD and magical, or not magical mushrooms, psilocybin and all this stuff. It's like, they're so powerful and people can use them in wrong ways, but there's something there. And I think that's kind of the same thing here where it's like, if if there's responsible use for it and you take care of the rest of your health and you advise with someone doing it, I think it's a tool that could be considered, right? And when it comes to like yeah. dosing, so people are aware of this, 
because you buy it over the counter at most pharmacies is just asthma medication called Broncade or Primatine. Like I just went over to Albertsons and picked some up when I was testing this out. Now, the dosage in research varies quite a bit, but there's usually a standard when it came to, in the bodybuilding community, what it is. Now, in research, intakes of like less than 20 milligrams a day are considered low. 40 to 90 milligrams is considered moderate. And then 100 to 150 are considered high. And I actually don't even know people in the bodybuilding community who take over 75 a day just because there's no real need to is what it seems like, right? The most common dosing protocol for weight loss is like three servings of 25 milligrams stacked with caffeine just a little bit. Like when you wake up mid-morning and noon, separated by about four hours, right? So combined with caffeine, when you wake up four hours later, four hours later. And I think it's one of those things that is just interesting to kind of look into because there's something there. There's something there. And I think that's why it's common in bodybuilding is because it's something that's over the counter. It does do what it's intended to do. But I also know too, in bodybuilding, a lot of people are intentional and careful with what they do and very, very intentful with what they do. They're not just blindly just putting stuff in their body. Some are, some aren't. That's why I think it's a good thing that it's, you can only buy, and it is, I just looked it up. So it varies based off of state regulations, how much Mm. you can get over the counter. I think like that had to happen because oh yeah, people can't have that control. I mean, drugs and anything, anything is always going to be abused always. That's just, unfortunately, you can't stop that. But I think seeing that potential for this to start to go really wrong with people having access to a lot of it and not regulating how much people could buy at a time. I mean, it's just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. If you you don't do that. Yeah. But it it was just how much research there was, there was, because they don't really do much research now in terms of it as a supplement because it's not a supplement. Exactly. Yeah, Um, exactly. Which it was just so interesting to me because I had not, I heard about it growing up because I was I just worked out at gyms that were more bodybuilding focused, but I forgot about it mm-hmm. until recently when I was hearing him talk about it a little bit more. So it's definitely something that's interesting that has yeah. some sort like there, it's powerful. There's something there. And why I thought it was worth getting talked about because it's there and I know it's common. And if use. you think, please talk about if you are, if this spiked your interest, talk about it with your doctor because again, you have like a heart, any, it's a stimulant, it's a stimulant. So that's yeah, like, don't just go run over to your pharmacy and grab some. <laughs> you don't just take yeah, it. Like, yeah, like go get checked with somebody. Say, okay, how is your cardiovascular system? How is your heart? How is mm-hmm. everything else? Could this actually be applicable? And then do it responsibly if it mm-hmm. piqued your interest. But again, and let's close this list off by saying it for like the fifth time. It would be added as supplemental. It's added as yeah. supplemental. <laughs> this doesn't replace your well, diet. This the, doesn't replace your training. I was just looking at the study that – the first study that you mentioned, these people were – it was a really good study. The one where at the Pennington Biomedical Research Center, mm. these people were, they were seeing dietitians. They were yeah. getting dietary counseling advice. They were instructed on how much they should eat. Like they were still, they were taking proper measures for things they had to do in order to be able to lose weight just at baseline. Yeah. Uh, so I think that yeah. that. Yeah. That's why I think it just deserves me. Like, cause you just, that's how many times we haven't said this in a while, but it's like, you just, you can't beat hunger when it comes to a diet. And that's why these starvation diets that people do, they don't work because you can't beat it. You just can't beat hunger. And that's why protein is so powerful. Fiber is so powerful. All these things are powerful that can help you control that. I beat it, it for a while, but then I got diagnosed with anorexia. So <laughs> uh, I was like, let's change so, like, the definition. I was good of, at like, it. it was still we, temporary we, though. It was still temporary. 
Yeah, you might be able to beat it for a short duration, but you might long term. Be better term, at it than someone else, but then you got an issue, and long, it's way worse. And you got a, yeah, you got a bigger issue on your plate. So that wraps up our list. I'm glad we actually finally. We were literally looking about like what we're like. Wait a second, did we ever post this? In our heads, we posted this months ago, but we had not. So we're glad we got to refilm it, go into it. If you have any questions for us, hop on over to Premium. Again, it's five bucks a month. It's not just the Legion giveaway, PDFs really cool pdf coming up soon but that weekly extra episode where if you're curious about any of these two ask us about it we go into detail go into depth i know we're doing a preview version of this here soon but all the important stuff is down in the show notes down below the legion the premium anything that we think would help but until next time we'll see all you premium users on friday we'll see y'all next week yeah Woo! that was good i like that one (laughs) all right close it out